The following sermon was delivered by Associate Pastor Reverend Sarah A. Speed in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday in person or on live stream. For details, go to FAPC.org. And now, here's Reverend Sarah A. Speed. Friends, our scripture passage for today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. Listen now for what God might be saying to us today. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promises he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. I remember a conversation I had once in high school. I was sitting passenger seat in the minivan next to my mom when she asked me, Sarah, if you were in trouble and you didn't want to talk to your dad or I, or you couldn't talk to your dad or I, who would you go to? Apparently my mom had learned through the book Sticky Faith and through research from Fuller Youth Institute that children and youth need at least five adults that aren't family members that they can go to in a time of need in order to truly thrive. So my mom was doing her homework and she wanted to know, Sarah, who are your five? I thought about it for a minute and then, because I had been raised in the hallways and the heartways of the church, I rattled off the name of church members. I said, well, I'd go to the Satterleys or the Cantrells. They were church families that always had us over for New Year's Eve every year. 
I said I'd go find Bill Lee. Bill Lee was probably 85 years old. He sat right about where Mary Rose Main sits in the fourth pew of the church. He lived at the retirement home I worked at as a teenager, and I loved him like an adopted grandfather. I said I'd go to Bill Lee's. Or I could go to Pat Jackard's house. I said she was one of the deacons. Or maybe Miss Bliss's house, one of the choir members. They were all great names, great people. They were answers that made perfect sense back in 2008. But if I had been born in biblical times, if I had been born in Nazareth, I imagine my answer would have been, I'd go to Mary's house. We don't know what Mary's house was like. The text doesn't tell us. But if I had to bet, I would bet that Mary's house always had clean sheets on the guest bed. I'd bet that Mary's house always had an extra bag of rice and jars of spices in the pantry just in case you stopped by for dinner and they needed to add a plate to the table. I'd bet Mary's house was the kind of house that had the key hidden under the mat, but even so, I bet Mary never locked the door just in case she was out and you needed a cup of sugar. I bet Mary's house had those automatic porch lights, the kind that turn on when the night falls so that no matter when you arrive, you can find your way in. I bet Mary's house had Neosporin and Band-Aids in case you skinned your knee in the front driveway of her house. I bet Mary's house had a linen closet full of extra throw blankets and towels and an extra leaf that could be added to the dining room table in a minute's notice. Scripture doesn't tell us what Mary's house was like, but I have a hunch that Mary's house was the kind of house you could go to if you were a teenager in need. I have a hunch that Mary's house was the kind of house you could go to if you were looking for a trusting adult. I imagine Mary's house was the kind of house you could go to if, like her, you happened to find yourself unmarried and pregnant at 16. According to the Gospel of Luke, Mary learns that she's pregnant from the angel Gabriel. The holy interaction happens just a few verses before what we read this morning. And according to Luke, Gabriel appears out of thin air and proceeds to tell Mary that she is both highly favored and pregnant. That's quite an update for young Mary. The conversation between Mary and Gabriel is brief. Mary only asks a few questions before eventually concluding with the words, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the scene changes. Gabriel disappears, and what happens next always surprised me. You see, if an angel of the Lord dropped out of the sky and told my 16-year-old self that I was carrying the Savior of the world in my womb, the first thing I would do is call home. Well, I'd 
probably have a panic attack and then I would call home. I would run to my parents. I would tell them everything. I would ask for their help. I would relay the conversation with the angel and no matter how far-fetched it seemed, I know that my parents would help me figure out what to do. That's what I expect from Mary in our text for this morning. Gabriel disappears and I expect Mary to call her mom, to run home, to go find her dad, but that's not what happens. Mary says, let it be with me according to your word. And then, with haste, Mary runs to Elizabeth's house. Have you ever wondered why? When I was a kid, I did a terrible thing. <clears throat> I filled the soap dispensers at my church with a mixture of blue paint and rubber cement. Now, in my defense, this was not on brand for me, and my prefrontal cortex was not fully developed. <clears throat> you see, my dad was the pastor of the church. After school and on weekdays, my brother and I would walk to the church and would kill our time by building forts under the table in the library, making snacks in the church kitchen, racing to see how fast we could slide under the pews from the front to the back of the sanctuary, and treating the supply closet like it was our own personal craft kingdom. One afternoon, I was spending my time in the craft closet with my best friend, Jerry, who was the son of the Christian educator on staff. And somehow, in our unsupervised supply closet foraging, we decided that it would be fun to pour blue paint into the rubber cement jar. In our third grade minds, this was a harmless act, just something silly, but then we took it too far. In a moment of sheer idiocy, we agreed that it was a good idea to pour the blue paint rubber cement cocktail into the soap dispensers in the choir loft bathrooms. So we carried our sticky jars to the bathrooms. We kept lookout for each other. And one at a time, we snuck into the bathrooms, unscrewed and emptied the soap jars, and with no extraordinary grace, refilled them with our blue paint glue concoction. Now, it did not occur to me in that moment that when the choir members came in on a Sunday morning and washed their hands, that our glue and paint soap substitute would dye their hands blue. It did not occur to me that those blue handprints would find their way to choir robes, to white coiffed hair, or to the door handles of the bathroom. It did not occur to me that the glue might clog the bathroom sinks, or that someone would be spending days washing blue handprints off the walls. I'm sure Derek, our head of facilities, is counting his lucky stars that he was not head of facilities at my church growing up because none of those consequences passed my elementary school mind. That is, until the moment the choir filed in for worship on Sunday morning. And there, from my pew in the third row, sitting next to my mother, I watched the choir file in with their blue handprints and their sticky choir folders, and I knew 
in that moment that I was a dead man walking. <clears throat> Jerry admitted the truth first. I probably would have tried to lie unsuccessfully, but my parents knew. Parents always know. They knew it the second they saw the choir. So they sat me down and they asked me questions along the lines of what incarnation were you thinking? They sent me back to the church to help the facilities clean up the mess I'd made. They said no TV for a month. And although they were mad and disappointed, they still tucked me in that night and said, tomorrow is a new day. I can't help but wonder, did Mary have that? I've always assumed that Mary ran to Elizabeth's house because Elizabeth was also pregnant. I've assumed that Mary ran to Elizabeth's house because Gabriel mentioned Elizabeth or because Mary assumed that Elizabeth also knew something about the inner workings of the divine. And all of that may be true. But as I read the text this year, I wondered, is it possible that Mary ran to Elizabeth's for another reason entirely? If Mary had gone home and had said, Mom, I'm pregnant. Mom, I'm afraid. Mom, an angel came and spoke this to me. Would her mom have believed her? Would her parents have asked questions and said, we're here, you're not alone. Tomorrow is going to be the promised day. Or is there a chance that if Mary had gone back home or back to the temple and said, I'm pregnant, that they would have said, you've brought shame to us. Don't come back. The truth is, we don't know. But what we do know is that Mary does not go home immediately. Mary finds out she's pregnant, out of wedlock, and according to the text, she runs. She runs to Elizabeth's house. Mary leaves town. She runs to the only person who might actually understand, and that's where our text finds us for today. Whenever my mom gets together with her sisters, there's a lot of high-pitched squealing. That's what my southern aunts do. They say, get over here. I haven't seen you in so long. They shuffle my cousins and I around, hugging us, squealing, saying, let me have a look at you. They laugh and run barefoot down the driveway just to greet each other at the car. It's always a joyful reunion between my mom and her sisters. That's what I imagine every time I read this scene in our scripture passage for today. Luke tells us that Mary arrives at Elizabeth's door. Elizabeth is overjoyed. It's one of my favorite scenes in scripture. Elizabeth throws her head back in laughter. The child leaps in Elizabeth's womb, responding to her joy. Elizabeth blesses and welcomes Mary to her home, and while it's not written, I can almost hear Elizabeth saying, get over here. I haven't seen you in so long. Let me take a look at you, you blessed child of God. I love this moment because Elizabeth seems to see Mary the way God sees Mary and she welcomes her into her home. It's joyful, it's holy, 
And I love it because I imagine it's exactly the kind of welcome Mary needed. It's the kind of welcome, the kind of love that we all need from time to time. It reminds me a bit of a moment in The Secret Life of Bees. Do you all remember that story? The Secret Life of Bees is a book turned movie written by Sumont Kidd. The book is set in rural South Carolina in 1964. It tells the story of a young girl named Lily whose mother died when she was young. Without her mom present, Lily is taken care of by her gentle and strong African-American nanny, Rosaline, and by her abusive and cruel father, T-Ray. After racial tensions spark in the city harming Rosaline and tensions with T-Ray rise in the house harming Lily, the two decide to run away. Following a hunch and a whim, Lily and Rosaline make their way to the small town of Tiburon, South Carolina, where they end up knocking on the door of the Boatwright sisters' house. The Boatwright sisters, May, June, and August Boatwright, are beekeepers. They live in a bright pink painted house. August says it's the tackiest color she's ever seen, but May says it makes her feel like dancing. So that's the color they picked. Lily and Rosaline show up on the front porch of that bright pink house and ask those three sisters, three strangers, if they can stay for a while. June, the most reserved sister, is hesitant at first. She recognizes immediately that Lily and Rosaline are in trouble. She doesn't know what they're running from, but she can tell that they're running and she protests. She tells her sisters, if we let them in, they're just gonna bring that trouble into the house with them. But August Boatwright, the eldest sister, she looks at scrawny Lily and beat up Rosaline and she can't help but say, come on in. So despite June's initial reservations, the sisters set up cots for Lily and Rosaline. They pull out the old attic fan. May teaches Rosaline her secret sweet potato biscuit recipe while August teaches Lily how to care for the bees. And weeks later, when T-Ray shows up in a rage, demanding that he take Lily home with threats of violence, June steps in. She echoes the words of her sisters as she says, we love Lily and we ask you, let her stay. We would like for her to stay. Friends, I don't know what Mary's house was like but I imagine Mary's house was a bit like that. It probably wasn't painted pink, but like the Boatwright sisters, I imagine that Mary always had an extra bed for the runaway because she herself had been that girl. Like Lily and Rosaline, Mary knew what it was like to need help. Like Lily, Mary knew what it was like to need a safe adult, a sanctuary space. Like Lily and Rosaline, Mary knew what it felt like to hear the words, come on in, 
we'd like for you to stay. So when I picture Mary's house, I can't help but picture a place that had a guest bed, an open door, an extra seat at the table. I can't help but picture the porch light on and the stocked pantry because I can't help but imagine that Mary would have created the kind of house she once needed, a safe place for the runaway. And knowing all of that, it makes sense to me that that's where Jesus would have showed up first. Knowing all of that, it makes sense to me that Jesus would have showed up first to the runaway, to the homeless, to the afraid. It makes sense that Jesus would have showed up for those of us who feel alone in the world. To those of us who wonder if we've messed up too much to go back or to those of us who wonder if we're really worthy of love. It makes sense to me that Jesus would have showed up at Mary's house. Mary the runaway, Mary the prophet, because I imagine Mary was always in the business of saying, come on in, you can find rest here. So while I'm not suggesting that we paint this sanctuary bright pink, I do think we could learn something from Mary's house and from the Boatwright sisters in South Carolina. I think we could learn something from Mary the runaway and Mary the prophet who dreamed and sang for a better world. A world where the hungry would be fed and the lowly would be lifted up. I think we could learn something about love from her. So church, this is my prayer for us on this fourth Sunday of Advent. I pray that by the grace of God, in a world that is lonely, in a world that is broken, in a world that seems to spend more time tearing homes to rubble than building them, that those of us here and now might figure out how to build a house, a church, a city that feels like Mary's home. Let us be the adults that the children of this world need. Let us be like Elizabeth was for Mary and the Boatwright sisters were for Lily. Let us take the words of the Magnificat to heart, the words of a better day, and let us start building it here and now. We can start small. We can start by saying, come on in, beloved child of God. Stay a while. Can I get you something to eat? There's room for you here. Maybe, just maybe, it's all that easy and it's all that hard. Amen. Family of faith, like Mary, as we leave this sanctuary, may, may we leave with words of welcome on our tongue, saying, come in, stay a while. You are welcome here. And as we leave, not only that, but may we love as if love is not a scarcity. May we hope like there is a better tomorrow. May we live like we belong to one another, because we do. And may we trust that nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
in the name of the lover, the beloved, and love itself. Go tell that on the mountain. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.